Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I am the DJ, and with me today, I have the Professor. Hello, DJ. Hi, hi, Professor. Uh, de- de- oh, oh, right, forgetting that we have Debbie Boy, but he's gone. It's okay, DJ. You'll move on. <laughs> Until he comes back and then goes again, and then we'll have to go through this all over again. <laughs> Do you know, I'm, I, I'm at my third bottle of beer right now, just to try and get over it. Well, technically, it's only binge drinking if it's in one sitting. <laughs> so since he hasn't been here, and we know he hasn't for two weeks, that doesn't tell us a lot. But if you're telling us you're an alcoholic, <laughs> it's okay. You can be open with me. <laughs> yes. And the next thing you'll know, you'll see me at... um. At one of those alcohol rehab clinics, <laughs> and I'll have a sobriety, and I'll have a uh, sobriety chip. <laughs> they like, I have hundred days free from alcohol. So, what have you been up to, Professor? Oh, dealing with some of the worst customer service ever. I was told. Okay, so I went to a company and I was told this would be done in two days. I say, um, okay, can you let me know because it's urgent. We need it by uh, by the morning of the second day, if possible. And they said, okay. On the first day, they said, it's 70% done. We need to do a bit more. Then on the second day at about midday, I called up and said, uh, can you follow up? Has there been any um, update? And they said they hadn't started it yet. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So what was the 70% then? I don't know. <laughs> It must have been like, oh, we're 70% done and um, slacking off. <laughs> yeah, are they slacking off? Did they not actually start? <laughs> who, was the, who was saying the 70%? The intern? <laughs> well, I spoke to three different people, so I guess that's it. <laughs> so anyway, it's now been uh, three days and I haven't heard back from them. Oh man, the, the 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 funny part is it's a te- it, it's tech related stuff. Normally, tech related stuff takes like quick now, like with this current day and age and how technology is so easily available. Often it can be quick and easy, but this is one case where it has not been. <laughs> oh man, oh dang, that's what about you, DJ? <laughs> At my end, oh, I've been um, I, I've been dealing with car situations. Mine uh, was s- some idiot decided to smash my car window, <laughs> and I didn't notice it until <laughs> I was I was about to go about to go somewhere, and I I was about to, I put in the car. I was like, yeah, cool. I open the door, and I see the other other, other window going, what? The hell! I that just reminds in. me of Elon showing off the windows on the Cybertruck. <laughs> what happened to that one? Uh, he walked out on stage and said, I don't remember the exact wording, but it's along the lines of the windows are bulletproof or very strong. <laughs> Whatever terminology he used, he then throws, um, like, I think it's a golf ball-sized ball bearing at the window, and it just goes straight through. And he's like, well, that didn't work, and tries it again, straight through again. So clearly the um, demonstration model did not have the bullet. Yeah, what he does do is yep. entertaining. Yeah, especially his Twitter. Have you bought into Doge yet? Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> I will say this, though. It's going to the moon! Anyways, um, so speaking of going to the moon, uh, you've got a story about uh, Nintendo Switch going up and up. And up. Yes, a, a new slightly bigger screen. Ooh. So a few weeks um, ago, there was a rumor that the next Switch would have an OLED because uh, people had managed to find out that um, Nintendo was investigating OLEDs. But they've now come out and uh, had a credible leak that the Switch Pro, so we now have the Switch Lite, the Switch and the Switch Pro. Switch Pro will have a 7-inch uh, OLED and be able to display in 4K when docked. Ooh, that's a... Ooh. Yeah, Breath of the Wild is going to look so good. <laughs> but that's so, so weird, though, on a small screen, though. That's Well, no, it's not 4K in handheld, only when docked. 
Oh, okay. So you'll need a 4K TV. Okay. Handheld, I believe, was uh, still looked like it was going to be the same resolution, which I think is 720. Okay. No, not that I'm complaining about more pixels. And it will be based on a NVIDIA DLSS because the the Switch itself runs on NVIDIA Tegra. So the Switch Pro will be using presumably a newer generation NVIDIA chipset. Makes sense. But it'd be so weird though, like once you play once you get the Nintendo Switch out of dock and you're playing it on on, on um handheld, it'd be like, oh crud, the graphics quality. It is hard to go back to lower resolution screens. <laughs> so I'm not sure why, like, who would buy this though? I mean, people who want 4K, obviously. But if that, when they do, uh, if they do confirm and release this, they're going to um, be splitting their market. So any developers will have to make multiple versions of the games. Like when the PS4 Pro and the Xbox One S came out. Yeah. Uh, So if you want to target the most consumers, you naturally target the lower range uh, console. So some games might get a better, uh, well, a graphics patch that will let them run in better graphics on Switch Pro. Maybe they, uh, but they might just not bother. And I think the strength of the Switch uh, is the, well, the portability. But most of the games on the Switch aren't that impressive looking to begin with. They look nice because they're stylized and well put together, but they're not going to win any photorealism awards. I mean, a, a a pro version of a Nintendo Switch, I mean, it's at this point, it's like, yeah, we're just copying every what everyone's been doing. It does kind of feel like it might be the way. Um, they, in the last couple of weeks, I've also heard that they consider Switch to be sort of at the middle of its life cycle. Middle? Yeah, so what we've had three years and we'll get another three years out of it before they Ooh. release Switch 2 or whatever they're going to call it. <laughs> the the Switcheroo, Switcher 2 or something crazy like that. Switcheroo, I like that. <laughs> The switcheroo, like just make it like the same design, but might make it more beefier or something like that. Beefy would be nice. Fix the damn joysticks. <laughs> yeah, it's um, fix the joysticks, please. <laughs> but oh, that being said, though, like it, it, the my, like I said, my gripe would be the graphic resolution. Just going back from four K to seven twenty, imagine playing like Zelda and, and like you're watching a walkthrough and say like, oh, you go find, you go go to this waterfall and you can find this mysterious item, and then you go seven twenty. It's like, oh, the waterfall looks so bad. Yeah, I think Zelda will look pretty good anyway. Yeah, yeah. But what I'd really like to see out of this is just a more robust controller mm. and maybe uh, a sort of ergo um, ergo controller. I've been thinking of, if I ever get a 3D printer, uh, custom printing backs for the controllers so that it's more comfortable to hold in portable mode. Don't, don't, reve- don't reveal it, man. Uh, you, 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 <laughs> yeah. Don't give Nintendo ideas. <laughs> if you tell that, if you say that, Nintendo will, go, will come up with a subpoena and go, yep, <laughs> cease and desist. Possibly. Uh, <laughs> but what I really want is more robust joysticks. Yeah, yeah. The joystick is the key. That being said, though, what other uh, features besides uh, 4K have they announced on um, with the Nintendo Switch Pro? It's so, sounds so weird. They should seriously, Nintendo. You gotta come up with a better name than that. <laughs> well, PS4 Pro work. Yeah, why, um, it's PS4 Pro. That's why it's like, yeah. Why is Switch Pro an issue? I mean, it's it's like I said, it's just copy. It's just like um. Jumping on the the um Nintendo, the PlayStation Four bandwagon kind of thing. It's a bandwagon effect. No, Pro is just a term. Sony doesn't own the name Pro. Sony doesn't own Pro. Um, it's just a it's a generic term, so anyone can call anything Pro. You could launch a brand of microwave meal Pro <laughs> if you wanted to. Microwave meal Pro better than the, better than your average microwave meal. 
<laughs> yeah, that could be the advertising if you want. Yeah, yeah. That, well. So look, I'm kind of excited because um, some games can really take advantage of the hardware, particularly the ports of uh, some of the PC ports of AAA games like Doom are really good. Mm. And it would be nice to have uh, better graphics in them, higher frame rate, maybe. Um, yeah, I heard um, Apex Legends is going to be on Nintendo Switch, and it could be on the Pro as well. Again, that's a case where the uh, it's not a graphical stunner, and it doesn't have to be because it's um, they want the most people possible to play Apex Legends. That's why free-to-play games, apart from limited budget, they don't tend to push graphics. They'll try to look nice, sure, but if you make your game, you know, if you go full crisis, then you are limiting your multiplayer uh, community to a tiny percentage of the gaming community, Mm. which is, I'm sure you can understand, a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in the int- with the uh, with bad ideas, uh, you must have heard about what's happened with Microsoft lately. Oh, I am so glad my company seems to have avoided that <laughs> because thirty k, like thirty thousand companies in the US, were hacked oh. through their um, exchange servers. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. And let me guess, you must have got a lot of phone calls saying, hey, fix this, fix this. Well, I'd actually had a uh, had a day off that day. <laughs> oh. And I'm just looking at it like, oh, no, I am not looking forward to going in to fix this. <laughs> Luckily, the other people seem to have uh, sorted it out. Oh, but still, what must have been fun, though, <laughs> just seeing all the carnage unfold. Yeah, it's nuts. So much when, like, it, it's gone so horribly wrong. So what was the issue, though? Uh, I haven't actually looked into um, a whole lot of it yet, but Microsoft Outlook has a self-managed option. So you can choose to either have your uh, emails handled by Office 365, which is Microsoft servers, or by your own servers. And it seems like uh, there was a hack to that managed to break into Exchange Server. So any company hosting their own emails, aka a lot of companies that have to deal with uh, government restrictions, the reason for that is that in a lot of cases, a if you work with government data, they don't want that leaving the country. So unless Microsoft has a data center in your country and you can guarantee that it's not going to leave the country... So it will stay in that data center, which um, in Australia you can. But uh, the you self-host your own email server. Huh. So that- the bad guys, the US are blaming, well, Microsoft are blaming China. It's going to take a little while to investigate and find out if it's a particular team, uh, find out if they have a name. Like all of the Russian hacker teams are given names something bare. It would be pretty funny if it's the same organization that um, hacked into CD Projekt Red. Uh, yeah, that was, um, uh, what's the name of it? Something Kitty. Hello Kitty Group. Yep. Yeah, so uh, I don't remember what the um, Chinese uh, hacking teams are called. So, yeah. Um, the other big issue is with the web version of uh, Outlook. It's flawed. It's rather flawed. It's really easy to get onto if you steal somebody's account, uh, especially if they don't have MFA set up. We actually had to disable that to meet government regulations at the company I work at. But it appears to be the way in. So Outlook Server and uh, Outlook Webmail are the way in. Microsoft is still investigating, and they think 30,000 companies could have been hacked. Oh. So it's very, very important if you host your own exchange to get on and patch it because they reckon they've patched the issue. And uh, if you don't patch it, you're still open. So good luck. So in other words, don't open any dodgy emails that has cat photos in it. <laughs> yeah, that could be why. I don't know how the uh, how they got in exactly, whether uh, it's uh, phishing or not. Yeah. This does not look good on Microsoft, does it? Doesn't it? No, it doesn't really. But it won't hurt them because nobody else does what they do. On the scale they do, 
with the kinds of uh, yeah, nobody provides what they provide. Um, so moving along, so uh, Professor, you've got an interesting sto- science story uh, about a real working warp drive. Theoretically, real working warp drive. It hasn't been built yet, but that's the uh, the tricky part. But the theory behind this is based on Alcubierre drives. So a theoretical physicist, Miguel Alcubierre, created the concept of this drive and the way it might work. And it's really interesting because what it does is stretch space behind it and contract space in front of it. So you're warping the fabric of space-time to go faster than the speed of light. But it would take boatloads of energy. Oh, yeah. How much boatloads are we saying here? Like five nuclear reactors? Ten nuclear reactors? Possibly more than exists in the universe. That's one of the theoretical limits. (laughs) So, yeah, one of the theoretical limits is that it could use so much much more power than actually exists in the universe, it cannot ever be created. That's the thing about a lot of theoretical physics. It'll be something that might not actually be physically possible. It's theoretically possible, but not in the universe we live in. But the good news is this new model of, well, new design of Albuquerque Drive doesn't use negative energy. Negative energy is just kind of exotic matter. And as we currently understand, it cannot be be created and might not actually exist in um, no one, you know, it might not actually exist. Yeah, it doesn't use dark. It doesn't use dark matter as well. Yeah, hmm. I like it how they uh, see here that essentially the Albuquerque drive would expend a tremendous amount of energy uh, to contract, twist space time in front of it, and create a bubble. Inside the bubble would be inertial reference frame where explorers would feel free, no p- proper acceleration. The rules of c- physics would still apply within the bubble, but the ship would be localized outside of space. Yeah, so theoretically, you wrap your ship in one of these space-time bubbles and pop it out of the universe, like physically out of the universe, <laughs> and then pull it back in wherever you want it to go. Oh, uh, that's like something out of a... T- that's like something the TARDIS would wouldn't it? Well... Theoretically, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, the, there's a few different explanations for how the TARDIS works, and that's one of them. So it's not you know, uh, not even the only way to do it, though, based on this new theoretical model. And Alcubierre approves of it. So the guy who came up with the original model approves of this new model. Now, it's probably a long way off, but this is exciting on a uh, theoretical level. I reckon it might not even happen in our lifetimes. Nah, nah, it'll be it'll be century, well, say centuries or thousands of years before we actually get Star Trek level of time travel or Star Trek level travel. It could be. It would, I think, depend on the amount of uh, amount of energy required. I think a big limiting factor in um, yeah, a big limiting factor in theoretical physics is energy. Lots of things are theoretically possible if you have all of the energy. So even on Earth, in practical non-theoretical physics, a lot of things need energy. Like uh, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere requires energy. Most of the ways to do that haven't actually been proven. Uh, non um oh sorry carbon negative depending on the source of your energy would depend on whether your energy uh, carbon capture is carbon neutral or not the tough part would be let's say for example if um what if the warp drive finally works i mean finally works We'll see. Will we see another space race happening? I know I've said that uh, so many times. Space as in race. a race to create a warp drive? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a race to get to a particular location. Well, once you've got the warp drive, you can go anywhere. Can, can the you imagine entire this? universe is your oyster? Oh, can you imagine just like a warp drive just to go to, into the Milky Way and come out of it? Screw the Milky Way. Anywhere in the universe, DJ. Andromeda. And that's oh. even just a close one. You don't have to stop at Andromeda. You can go anywhere. <laughs> anywhere, DJ. <laughs> This is Star Wars level crazy. This it'll be Star well, Star Trek level insanity. 
Once you have warp drives, nothing can stop you. <laughs> Literally nothing. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. You want more more energy? Go and build a bloody Dyson Sphere. <laughs> That's oh. how exciting warp drives are. Oh. <laughs> because once the- you've got them, you can do anything. Yeah, but here's the thing, though. Can warp drives surpass the speed of light, though? That's the point. Wait, what do you mean? That's the point. The point of a warp drive is to go faster than the speed of light. Like, theoretically, in regular physics, nothing can go faster than the speed of light. What makes the warp drive interesting is that you're not going faster than the speed of light by, like, accelerating really fast. You're going faster than the speed of light by leaving the universe and coming back in somewhere else. Like, think of it as a, if you have a piece of paper and you put two line, two marks on it and then draw a line between it, that's the shortest way in physical space. The fastest way with a warp drive is to fold the paper in half and just push a hole through it. <laughs> you, you know what's going to be insane as well about this? It will be, it, it'll, it'll be like a science fiction um Imitating life, or is it the other way around? Uh, I think you mean life imitating art. Yep, that's the one. Because um, sci-fi has been talking about warp speed for years, and the Albuquerque Air Drive uh, theoretical model only goes back to, you know, 94. So one could say only time will tell? Yeah. Will we create a warp drive that we can build and operate before the end of humanity? (laughs) Will any species in the universe create a warp drive before the heat death of the universe? Who knows? The only (laughs) way to find out is by waiting until it happens. (laughs) That will be a great Doctor Who episode if I ever see one. What would the the plot be? Just waiting. (laughs) Yeah, the Doctor just waiting for another warp drive to fuel his TARDIS. Um, kind of, yes. I mean, most recently there was, uh, the Master was stranded and had to wait for a future version of the Master to travel back in time with the part to fix the TARDIS. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. That actually happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's just the first example that comes to mind. There's others. Ah, uh, that's fair enough. Uh, um, anyways, in the interest of time, we should um, move on. Um, so, speaking of Doctor Who, uh, more details of the Christopher Eccleston audio dramas have been released. So, it's set to be released in May 2021, and it's called Doctor Who, the, the Ninth Doctor Adventures Ravages sees the Doctor on a voyage of discovery once more with new friends and adventures in three tales penned by Nicholas Brigg, uh, who is the big Finnish creative director. And yes, Nicholas Brigg is a big guy in the fandom. Ooh, do tell. Well, he's the kind of guy who wrote tons of uh, content about Doctor Who, and in the TV show, he plays the Cybermen and the Daleks. That's fun. Yeah, so uh, apart from acting and writing for Big Finish. He's in the main show as a voice actor, although um, I've seen a lot of fans who want him to actually be a companion at some point. That would be a fun little self-referential, self-referential thing, have him uh, have him battling the Cybermen. That would be fun. So uh, rounding out the cast, so we have Jamie Parker, who is uh, playing as Captain Holloran, Dan Starkey as Marcus Aurelius Gallius, Ben Lee as Lieutenant Faraday, and Claire Cobert as the Terrifying Ravages. The four join Eccleston as uh, well as previously announced cast members, Camilla be put as Nova and Jane McKenna as Audrey. Some of those are even other characters in Doctor Who. Like, if I say there's only six actors in England, it's because there is. <laughs> and they just get recycled over and over. Um, Dan Starkey, he plays Strax the Sontaran. Oh, yeah! <laughs> and now he's playing a different character in the audios. <laughs> Peter Capaldi himself had two different appearances in Doctor Who-related stuff before being the Doctor. Oh, yeah, once in I Doctor remember. Doctor Who and once in Torchwood. Yeah, and yeah, I remember now in Doctor Who he was... um. Actually, yeah, in Doctor Who, he was part of the um the Greek was it? yeah Pompeian family. Yeah, were you gonna say Greek? Yeah, yeah. You know that's in Italy. Y- yep, 
They were <laughs> Romans. Yep. Yeah, he was a. Uh, I don't quite remember how to say it. Caecilius, I think. I, I think it's Caecilius. I think. Okay. Yeah, he plays uh, him in um, Pompeii, and in Tortured Children of Earth, he plays a government uh, advisor. <laughs> Yeah, so they like using other uh, Doctor Who actors in the show. So the story goes, on the, sphere of, on the sphere of freedom, the Doctor is about to shut down an evil immersive games business empire. Uh, yeah, <laughs> immersive games empire. Immersive <laughs> games. <laughs> well, are we take, uh, wait, uh, is this a subtle dig at EA? <laughs> Probably a dig at virtual reality. Oh, yeah. That's what sci-fi is for. <laughs> so he's assisted by the valiant gal- galley chef called Nova, but his plan spectacularly fails. Now the doctor must fight back to discover what could have caused everything to go badly wrong. His journey takes him via Piccadilly Circus in 1959, Belgium 1815, and far-flung future worlds where machine intelligence regards sentient life as mere biofuel. Where have I seen these plots before? <laughs> Like the machines regarding sentient life as mere biofuel, that feels like a Matrix ripoff. Yeah, kinda. Yeah. It's not even a new concept in the Matrix, though. I'm pretty sure, I don't remember which one it is off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure that's a concept in a book I've read from, like, the 70s. So, uh, cont- continue on. So, where does the mysterious old-timer Audrey fit in? Is the alien beverage Chagnazi, uh, Chag... Chagan, ah, I'm going to butcher this one. Chaganzi. Chaganzi safe to drink. And is there really anything the Doctor can do to stop the entire universe from being devoured? That's a good plot. Yeah. So, um, there, so here they've extended the um, adventures to the, ti- to the following titles. So you got Spear of Freedom. Oh, Sphere of Freedom, by the way. Sorry. On the Sphere of Freedom, the Doctor is about to shut down evil in so he, da, da, he So who exactly is Audrey? Then you have Cataclysm. So Nova is dislocated in time where, while the time eddies are out of control. Meanwhile, the Doctor is about to face the end of the universe. Or what? Or is that just the Battle of Waterloo? And Food Fight. The TARDIS is starting to get a little crowded. Audrey finds herself hunt- haunted by a ghostly Doctor. So those are the uh, three new titles for the audio drama so far. I think what's got people most excited is that it's more Christopher Eccleston. Oh, yeah. I mean, given what's happened with the recent uh, Doctor Who news in terms of the um, with the female Doctor leaving the series and uh, Luke Warren... Oh, reception. not even that. that? But um, Christopher Eccleston was pretty popular. He only had one year because it turns out he was dealing with his own issues at the time. He um, ended up with... He came out recently, like in the last year or so, and said that he had anorexia at the time. Mm. And that he, um, well, he didn't get along with the production team because he thought the production team were pushing people too hard and taking advantage of them. So he doesn't really want anything to do with the TV show anymore. He actually refused to come back for the 50th anniversary. The original script planned to have him as the war doctor. I would would have loved to see him as that. Yeah. I mean, John Hurt was incredible, but it would have been great to have uh, Christopher Eccleston there. Yeah. Given the lukewarm reception we had with the uh, female doctor, though, do you reckon this audio drama will buy back a bit of good faith with the fandom? No. No? The people who listen to Big Finish are already a a fraction of the people who watch Doctor Who. You need to be, like, I don't want to gatekeep, but the people who listen to Big Finish tend to be really serious fans. It's not anywhere near as advertised. The production budget is lower. It's audio, so it's harder to get into. And it's harder to actually get into than, uh, well, to find and listen to it than it would be to just watch the TV every uh, every Sunday night. So would you be uh, getting getting the series? Um, I've been meaning to get into Big Finish, so maybe this will be what I I start with. But yeah, I, I have definitely been planning to get into Big Finish at some point. I just have never gotten around to it. That's fair. That's fair. Uh for those interested in getting the uh, audio drama, so you can go to the Big Finish website and uh, pre-order it, and they're starting from nineteen pounds and ninety-nine shillings, shillings and cents, pence, 
Pence. The Thank shilling. You. The shilling. <laughs> what year is it, TJ? <laughs> I'm sorry. I've just been watching so many old timey, sh- old timey British shows. <laughs> Go blimey, governor! A whole shilling. <laughs> I'll be able to feed me family for a month. <laughs> <sighs> so uh, the, these ones will be available in uh, three formats: collector's edition CD, digital download, or a limited edition gatefold. Triple LP vinyl. Ooh. That would be a nice collection to have. Oh, yeah. Vinyls of all the big finish. Oh, yeah. yeah. It would take up most of your house, though. There's a <laughs> lot of big finish. Definitely. Definitely. A pre-order bundle of all the volumes is uh, available just for £88. That's the collector's edition box set. Or £78 for download. While the triple LP vinyl can be pre-ordered at £35.99 each. Or £132 for the bundle of all four albums. Although I will say this though, with the um with, with the addition with the additional cast there from what I'm gathering, they're all saying like, yeah, this is a, this is a good project. This is good. Like one saying, I mean it's Doctor Who. Who isn't? It's who isn't? Uh, isn't it? It's iconic. It's very energetic. It's full of action. What I really enjoyed doing. Yeah, I'm hoping uh Obviously, I'm hoping this goes better for Christopher Eccleston than being on the show did. I'd hate for him to have another bad experience working on Doctor Who. Yeah. Apparently, um, one of the actresses, uh, McKenna, this is her first, the first time experience caught her, caught her eye with the script and hooked, hooked her in from there. She says, I love the script. It's the first time I've been in something like this. It's just fantastic. What's lovely is working with people that's so invested in this and having a chance to play a character at different stages of her life that's a great gift of being of being given as an actor i think that's a very nice gesture yeah oh that reminds me dj yeah another episode uh, about waiting for the tardis to come back not really the doctor but um the girl in the fireplace so the uh the doctor is uh separated from the tardis i don't remember exactly how and he uses um these time gates between a spaceship and France to meet up with Madame de Pompadour. <laughs> what a what a name! Who names a person like that? <laughs> well, Madame de Pompadour's parents, obviously. <laughs> oh man! Yeah, so uh, the Doctor ends up visiting her half a dozen times across her life. <laughs> so, uh, Professor, what nerdful thing have you? Uh, I've been trying out a game called Kingsway. It's a classic style RPG adventure sort of thing, but it's presented, the UI is literally like a computer. So Windows 95 or so uh, style graphics, the elements are all like pop-ups and windows and folders. So Mm. your bag and the things in it are folders. No way. This looks like Windows 95. Yeah. For a second there, I thought that was someone has remarketed uh, Temple OS and has put <laughs> it on Steam. What's the uh, biggest issue with this game you've encountered? Um, I haven't really found any so far. Maybe the difficulty curve spikes too quickly, or that could just be me making mistakes and going the wrong way. <laughs> Supposedly, the further east you go, the more difficult it gets. So I might have just gone east too early. Wait, I thought. Wait, I'm I'm just looking at the uh, trailer on on the Steam page, which will be available in our show notes. Um, so is it? It's a ty- so it's a typing adventure. No, at least not any part that I've gotten to yet. Okay, it's a uh, point and click so far. So you go into combat, and a window pops up of an enemy with. Uh, the options you have and the enemy's health and stuff. Uh, the window actually moves around the screen to make it a bit more difficult to click on. So a new enemy pop up. It pops up. It's a casino ad. <laughs> <laughs> that Online be, yeah, that would be nicely meta. That. <laughs> there are other games I've played that have that sort of humor. Oh, Online gambling, the villain. <laughs> Yeah, but I like the aesthetics of it. Like it, it, it was a night; it has a '90s feel to it, and it has the um, what the pop-ups and the um, IRC look. Yeah, it's very retro style. So, uh, how many nerdy beanies would you give this one out of? Um, right. I think at this point, three and a half out of five. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. 
What about you, DJ? I have been watching an interesting video about uh, about an incredibly interesting person. Um, Me. <laughs> the professor. <laughs> nah, nah. Um, I've been watching an, a, a video, a, a documentary about a video game lawyer known as Jack Thompson. Oh, he's a piece of work. <laughs> Yeah, Jack Thompson. What a what a legendary guy this this guy is. Oh, he is known for being a colossal pain, <laughs> wasting time and money. Just, I, uh, <laughs> like I saw, like I saw the documentary, and I'm just going. So he, he like he was um he went up he went first to um radio stations and <laughs> try to attack people. <laughs> Say like, oh, this song is terrible. This song is bad. This song is offensive. And then he up, then he ups the ante to video games. And my god, some of the games, some of the games that he's explaining, it's so badly explained that. <laughs> yeah, he's known for being either utterly incompetent or twisting the truth by ridiculous amounts. Although some of the arguments, he, okay, some of the arguments he got that uh, he poses, it is you okay. Some of the arguments he poses are very interesting. Like he's fifty percent right, but he's also fifty percent wrong in terms of like uh, was one of the argu- what was he saying about the guns, for example? Like for example, like Jack was saying the enhanced realism of, of shooter games that had the tra- danger of training kids, for example. Yeah, the um, dumb theory that kids will learn how to be serial killers by playing games. I mean, no. No? No, because playing a game, even the most advanced simulator game, is still completely different from doing it in real life, especially something like killing someone. I'll 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 grant you that. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Although I I like how um, at one stage Jack Jack was so obsessed with uh, trying to trying to um, win something. That he uh, tried to run for politician, and oh, who was the person that he was going up against? She was playing a bit of banter on him, and she's and then he sued her. Yep. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yep. Some people are just ridiculous. <laughs> I, I gotta say, uh, he is the. I, I, should I say it? Like, he's the first version of the Karen. <laughs> no, there's older versions of Karen. <laughs> okay, he, he, that, was a, that was a very funny uh, documentary I was watching. And uh, I like how in the ending, how he, even though he's kind of mellowed out, he still, has the, he still likes to sue people and companies. Like, recently he tried to sue Facebook for damaging him, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically how these people do it. <laughs> Just frivolous lawsuits about everything. His biggest one was how he tries to take on GTA. <laughs> yeah, he has a real hatred for GTA. Probably because it's like the big thing. There are games that have worse content than GTA, but everybody knows GTA. Oh, yeah. Probably yeah. also because people like him keep going on about it. And, um,. Oh yeah, like I said there, there's a lot of things you could you you, you could say about J- about Jack. <laughs> like you gotta watch the video and, and just have a good laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, how many dirty beanies would I give this one out of? I'll just give this a four out of five. <laughs> My biggest criticism is they, there was so less there was, there was so many more <laughs> they should have explained. It. So, what's the name of the documentary and who was it by? Um, it's. It's by uh, Count Dankula, and it's the documentary is called Absolute Mad Lads, the video game lawyer, Jack Thompson. And it's a very funny video. <laughs> yeah, I remember learning a lot about him in um, my first year of uni. We had uh, more theoretical lessons about, you know, what makes a game, what sort of content is, is, uh, is gamey. And he ended up coming up a reasonable amount. I think because uh, one of the things we did cover a bit was, you know, can games have a negative effect on people and what are the ethics of making a game? This was before, like, I'd say before loot boxes went completely nuts. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, so I'd probably replace that with loot boxes if I did that course again. 
<laughs> I'm surprised it's, Jack didn't do anything about that loot box fiasco. He's a has been. Nobody listens to him anymore. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Although, oh, no, right, oh, oh, if oh. he does want to take up arms against loot boxes, you know, I will support him all the way. But he doesn't care about loot boxes. He's in it for the easy money of pretending he cares about violent children and then blaming it on an easy scapegoat. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, the, and I like how um, this is, a funny, this is a, another funny tidbit. Uh, Jack was so obsessed with uh, trying to win court cases, he would... Um... <laughs> oh, it's too funny to say that. He would send threatening messages to judges and uh, and um, he would even tr- promote his book in the middle of court cases. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a, a lunatic. <laughs> Can you imagine doing that in the middle of a court case? Like, I and, and that's that's as a madam, I rest my case. Also, please, also please buy my book. <laughs> oh man, it's it's funny to watch. You got to any of our listeners, you should you should have a you should have a watch, and you it'd be a good laugh. <laughs> Yeah. So um, we'll take a short break and we'll be back with our shout outs, remembrances, famous birthdays and events of interest. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So uh, on to our shout outs. Last year, COVID-19 spread through zoo animals. Now, on the 5th of March, apes and sa- San Diego became the first non-human primates to be vaccinated against COVID-19. One, a 28-year-old ape named Karen, was also the first ape to have open-heart surgery in 1994. In more normal years, the apes receive human flu and measles vaccines. Yeah, I bet the apes don't get autism, do they? <laughs> oh, we, 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 went to, we went there. Oh man! Can you imagine though? This if, if the vaccine does something crazier to the animals, it'll be the pa- plan of the apes. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> hey, 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 hey! <laughs> we, we, I even I, thought, do I put this in the in the summary? <laughs> no, he'll do that anyway. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, we're kind of delving into science fiction territory here. I mean, something crazy can happen. So uh, on the 8th of March, we passed the 50th anniversary of the fight of the century, a boxing match between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. The pair were undefeated and drew extra viewers with their representation of both political wings, with Frazier being backed by pro-war conservatives and Ali backed by anti-establishment left-wing supporters. A statue has been unveiled with a plaque describing how the match went for 15 rounds before Frazier won. And this was the first out of the three fights between those two gentlemen. So who won, like, best out of three, who won? Ali. Okay, because they were both undefeated when they did this uh, fight, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, and there was a, a lot, and this was the fight that split America basically. Like, every, like you, you were either Camp Frazier or Camp Ali. So, and there were a lot of other uh, like significant events happening around that time. So there was the Vietnam War and the civil rights movements as well going on at the time. So, yeah. Well, I don't follow uh, combat sports, but are there any uh, celebrity fighters you think would make an equal battle? Oh. There was a recent fight that ca- uh, that came up. It was Manny Pacquiao versus uh, Floyd Mayweather. Oh yeah, that was dubbed the fight of the century as well. And the amount of hype that came out of that one was in- insane. But a lot of people were hoping that we might get a rematch. So <laughs> good luck with that one between Manny and Floyd. Yeah, yeah, they didn't get along very well the first time, did they? Nah. They didn't. There was, uh, well, they didn't get along, and this was a fight that was hyped so much. Like the first time they, the first time they had it, there were accusations. 
a lot of people were like from both sides were ac- accusing into um into what conditions and stuff. Then there was a second um, negotiations, but that was a rumor. And yeah, there was there was a lot, like I said, there were a lot of disputes. And the fight purse was insane. Like the first hundred sixty million of, of uh, revenue and the revenue above one hundred eighty for the fu- for the fight was split between sixty forty between the fighters, with Mayweather receiving sixty percent. Like I said, the it was it was insane. Yeah, the only cringe-worthy moment of that of that fight was uh, Jamie Foxx singing the Star Spangled Banner, and man, was he roasted for that! So, uh, moving along, on the next day, on the ninth, uh, Super Mario RPG passed its twenty-fifth anniversary. The first game, Super Mario RPG: Legend of the Seven Stars, featured a timing-based, turn-based strategy game. It is regarded as sh- as sharing a podium with the great RPGs like Final Fantasy and Earthbound, and would hold up even without the Mario setting. Did you ever had fun playing that game, uh, Professor? No, I haven't played any of the Mario RPG games. Although this is the predecessor to the uh, Paper Mario and uh, what was the other one? Well, it's the predecessor to Paper Mario, but I haven't played that either. Oh yeah, and the Mario and Luigi series, that's the one. That's it. So uh, onto our remembrances. On the 6th of March, Alan J. McDonald passed away. He was the director of the Space Shuttle Solid Rocket Motor Project at Morton Tinkle, producing the SRBs for sp- shuttle launches. In 1986, he refused to sign on sign off on Space Shuttle Challenger's fatal flight, realizing it was irresponsible to launch outside the known safe conditions for O-rings used in the boosters. The O-rings became fragile at low temperature and loud leaks, leading to Challenger's destruction with all crew perishing 73 seconds into the flight. McDonald said, If anything happens to this launch, I wouldn't want to be the person that has to stand in front of a board of inquiry to explain why we launched. He sacrificed career progression to push for accountability, blaming NASA for pressuring MT into approving the launch to meet launch schedules. His work ensured the SRBs were redesigned in his life. He published more than 80 papers, a book, and a chapter in the Encyclopedia of Aerospace Engineering. He died of brain injury after a fall at the age of 83 in Ogden, Utah. On the same day, Lou Ottens, a Dutch inventor, passed away at 94. After working on portable reel-to-reel recorders, Lou's team began planning a portable cassette recorder. He considered the RCA cartridge format, but created the smaller compact cassette format, first introduced in 1961. Ottens chose the size to fit the jacket pocket. A decade later, he became the director of Philips Audio, where he realized laser technology. Philips' pl- plan to use for video records could be used for audio as well. Lou led the team to create a compact disc standard, which was announced on March 8, 1979, before Philips began collaborating with Sony on a universal standard. These are the most successful projects he led in audio, but he also worked on video formats. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah, he's had a huge impact. And imagine living long enough to not only see your invention rise and fall, but create the successor. I wonder what was his reaction when uh, seeing the iPod. So uh, onto our birthdays, Michael S. Hart, the inventor of ebook and founder of Project Gutenberg, celebrated his birthday. Hart published the first ebooks on ARPANET and founded Project Gutenberg in 1971 to preserve and share public domain content, especially books that have passed out of their copyright period. He hand-typed early books himself and was given a free account on the ha- on the University of Illinois mainframe, where he hosted the first version of PG. By 1987, he typed 313 books. The mission statement he chose were encourage the creation of distribution of ebooks, help break down the bars of ignorance and illiteracy, give as many ebooks to as many people as possible. I like those goals. Yep. <laughs> he also chose his wording carefully to ensure his emails and blog posts had equal line lengths in monospaced font. That's, that is, each line would have equal number of fixed width characters. He was born in Tacoma, Washington. Yeah, sounds like he might have been a little bit OCD. <laughs> I mean, I, I got to hand it to the guy, though. Like, 
typing out 131 books in that format and proofreading uh, no, them. 313. Oh, right, right. 313 books and proofreading them all. <laughs> yeah, all by himself. And that was just by 1987, so he could have done more later. Oh, man. Can you... How many cups of coffee? <laughs> so much coffee. Oh, man. So uh, on to our events of interest and... On the 8th of March 2016, They Came From the Ether debuted on DVD. Starring Travis L. Baker and Lindsay Bolland, the plot involves John Henry, a down-on-his-luck salesman who was given a chance at success by an alien visitor trading technology for help in human experimentation. Blinded by his ambition, the salesman opens a doorway in which the alien can develop the means to control the human race. It's left to Detective Mike Washburn, that's a crazy name, <laughs> Which is who is investigating the missing persons reports and to get to the bottom of these disappearances. So uh, that's all we have for this week. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, batstarcanon.com, uh, where we archive of our old episodes. And you can find new That's Not Canon episodes and podcasts, such as book boys so it's a brand new podcast all about books and uh not only about not only about books but also about what they've been reading and making some recommendations and speaking to authors who call into the show and you can also find us on youtube where we have a lovely video but uh we'll be making some more video some more um nice youtube videos for you to consume and enjoy Yes, yeah, so look after yourselves and stay hydrated, and we'll see you next week. See you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.